From Pure Advantage, I'm Simon Miller. Welcome to our podcast, the destination for leading edge discussion with some of the world's experts in green growth, regenerative development, business, and climate change. Nature's called upon us to think differently and tell a new story for a better New Zealand and the world. It's great to have you with us. In this podcast, our host and author, Alina Siegfried, sits down with four regenerative organic farmers, Kay Baxter from the Koanga Institute, Hamish Bielski from Rehoboth Farm, Mark Anderson from Westridge Farms, and Simon Osborne from Biotil. They'll be discussing what regenerative agriculture means while sharing practical lessons learned in the transition away from conventional farming across sheep and beef, dairy, mixed cropping, and horticulture. Enjoy. My name is Alina Siegfried. I've been the author recently of a series called Our Regenerative Future, which is co-produced by Pure Advantage and the Edmund Hillary Fellowship. And our session is on walking the talk. So we're speaking with four of the farmers that are actually leading the work here in New Zealand um, on the ground at the moment. So without further ado, I'm going to ask our panellists to briefly introduce themselves and let's start with Mark, if you'd like to, to yeah, introduce yourself and tell us what regeneration means to you. Hi everyone, so my name's Mark Anderson and I, I myself and my family farm 750 milking cows. Um, we milk once a day in the Warra South catchment area in South Otago. So we've identified regenerative farming as a model that presents us uh, the least risk for for the future um, for our business and a lot of other issues we face as well. Yeah, so the changes we've made and the results we're seeing have left us wanting more. And regeneration to me, we would love to move beyond sustainable into regeneration. So... For us, that means um, regenerating our soils, uh, our animals, our people, the land, human health, many things, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Mark. Um, Shall we go on over to Kay? Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. It's an honour to be here with all of you. I guess a short story is I've been an organic gardener for about 50 years and for the last 35 or so, outside of like growing the family food and the family farm, I've been focused on saving our New Zealand heritage food plants, which includes fruit trees as well as heritage vegetable seeds. And just as importantly as saving them, which has been a huge learning, is how to, learning how to grow them in, in ways that are regenerative of the ecology that they're in. So that's been another huge journey. So I guess for me, um, over the past 15 years since we left Kaiwaka and we've really been here where we are now, the good news is that we've raised the humus levels in the soil. We're on pumice sand here from 4% to 25 to 30% in our seed gardens and our food production gardens. And we've raised the bricks of the plants from 4 to 6 to 16 to 20 to 25%. And we've been kind of focused on like building the soil and the bricks, but on on that journey, we've learned so much else. And for Koanga, as well as saving the food plants and creating regenerative ways of growing them, we've been focused on like sharing that knowledge through our workshops and 
through Regeneration Productions now, we're doing online workshops, which have been really successful. But for me, um, if we're going to transform the way that we live on this planet and create a a regenerative way of living, it needs to be measured by creating personal, community, ecological and economic health and well-being. I really liked what Sarah Seller said um, in the last session about the importance of creating local food economies that capture value at every possible point and circle them back into local economies. I believe that one of the key, the, like some key things in order to do that are to create regional or bioregional research stations and demonstration centres with working models based on integrated land use design with many, which we're going to require many more people on the land and actually changes in land ownership and access models and investment, heaps of investment in all of the above. And I also see, as they discussed last week, that standards are going to be really critical for this because even for education alone, let alone marketing, yeah, so the, and the Koanga Institute is like, that's what we're setting out to, to create. Is a, that's our job, we see, and to do, to create a, a research and um, a model on the ground to inspire and support others. So, yeah, that, I kind of see my role in the, in the local, creating local economies area. I know that every, everyone is doing it differently and there's lots of different ways of doing it, but, yeah, that's, that's my journey. Wonderful. Thank you, Kay. Um, so fantastic to see such great results from you guys. Um, Simon, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Simon Osborne, obviously. Uh, 280 hectares of uh, arable farming just next to Lake Ellesmere, which most people have heard of for its infamy. <laughs> around uh, the environmental quality of the lake, which actually isn't quite reported correctly in the media. Uh, it has some peculiarities that don't quite line up with the reports. But anyhow, um, we've been no-till here for 46, 47 years. And when I came back onto the farm in 1992, I thought, well, what do I want to do with my life? Um, and I thought, well, Organic farming appealed to me because of the, I guess, the philosophy of it. But our soils couldn't withstand that type of treatment for cropping. It was intensive. It was 130-odd years of intensive cultivation. Well, no, not all the time, but that had destroyed them in the first place. So we, we, I moved into no-till with full residue retention, reasonably conventional um, for the rest of it, using chemical and fertiliser. We improved our soils a little bit. Organic matter levels grew, but mostly in the top part of the soil where they, you know, with the detritus and uh, because we were retaining all the residue. So we were building a good duff layer in the soil. Probably it, it's an interesting challenge. I, as I got to the 2010s and, and beyond, I sort of thought we weren't seeing enough development in our soils um, and we weren't seeing enough biological activity in our soils, although they're still reasonably good at that point. So I started looking at other ways of, of doing it. And I think overuse of fertiliser has stripped the life out of the soils because obviously if plants can achieve nutrients easily, they don't bother 
well, it's not a matter of not bothering, it's a bit of an oversimplification, but they don't tend to develop those symbiotic relations that, uh, relationships that help them to feed. And those symbiotic relationships uh, with the microbes, fungi and bacteria and other things in the soil are actually what build soil. It's just a new way of learning to manage. And I think this is the key for people looking at regenerative agriculture. There's a lot of controversy around it. It's actually not controversial at all in my, in my view. It's a, farming is a scientific endeavour and it's also all about ecology. And building a healthy um, agroecology ecological system is, is basically the fundamental um, reason for doing it. And it, it's building resilience and building health into the soil. I don't have a purist view um, and I've come from the world of conservation, what I call conservation agriculture, which sort of has elements of conventional and organic sort of thrown into it. I'm not as scared of, of synthetic inputs as, as many people are um, over the years, although, I mean, obviously I'd rather not use them if we can. And so I guess our endeavour is to try and work, work our ways how to, how to reduce and minimise the use of those products and how to reduce the impact that they might have. And I, it, it's been an extraordinary journey of learning. And um, I just love soil ecology. I, I mean, I'm, I'm no academic. Uh, I was pretty bloody useless at school. Um, I could barely read when I left, but man, I'm learning now. And, mm. uh, you know, once you get into the, the twilight part of your 50s, to be still learning like this is great. And, um, I'm, I'm just enjoying every minute of it. But I, I, do, I do get concerned uh, with some of the polarisation around the terminology of regenerative agriculture. And I, I want to see it as an inclusive thing. It's an educational thing. It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to reconnect. And it's an opportunity to rebuild our, our rural communities. And um, so, yeah, I, 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 want to, I want to proceed along those lines. Wonderful. Thank you, Simon. Finally, Hamish, I'd love to invite you to introduce yourself and tell us what regeneration means to you, please. Yeah, my name's Hamish Spelsky. We're just, I don't know, five minutes away from Mark, South Otago, 300 hectares rolling to um, undulating hill country. Um, sheep and beef, we were cropping, but that just got too hard, so I left that to Simon. <laughs> what I've learned a lot is how grazing with livestock can actually um, really enhance our ecosystems. And, and I'm always trying to think, what's our vision for, um, for our farm and business and life? And, and I think it's, we want things teeming with life. We want soil teeming with life. We want our water teeming with life. We want our animals, our people, and our, and our bank account just teeming with life. And um, so that, that's our aim here. I'm a bit like um, Simon. I'm not a purist. Um, we're definitely on a journey to Understanding, I think it's the big key here, regenerative farming is understanding what practices or what management actually degrades our environment and what practices improve our environment. And you know, four years ago, I, I learned about regenerative agriculture and I was very, very stubborn in wanting to learn. I thought I was actually very sustainable. I mean, I genuinely thought um, what I was doing could last for for decades, but what I learned is can it last for millennia? You know, that's truly true sustainability is, is your practice not 
using up non-renewable resources. So really started, the more I learned, the more I realized that winter cropping, for example, and putting sediment into our waterways is not regenerating, it's degrading. Um, that's scientific fact. So I had to work out if I want to do less winter cropping, I needed to grow more grass. How am I going to grow more grass and leave it in pasture 100% of the time? Well, that was learning how to graze my stock better. And so I went and researched um, how to grow more plants, have more growth, but also better animal performance. Because in my four-year journey, I have had some big failures in my animal performance by letting the grass grow too long. So as all these synergies were trying to work out, failure, success, failure, success. And I guess in this last year, we've finally cracked with some really good education how to improve animal performance as well as grow more grass and have the need for less winter crops. So it's all starting to come together. Over the last um, six years, we've probably lifted our stocking rate or our, our carrying capacity 25%. And we've never looked in a better position to be as profitable as we're going from here going forward. Let's go for it. Great. Thank you for that, Hamish. So let's crack into some questions. Um, one that I'd like to pick out to start with is why mainstream scientists and agricultural commentators claim there's a lack of science behind regenerative agricultural or biological practices. So there seems to be sometimes that disconnect between the scientific world and the world of regen ag. Does anybody want to speak to that? I'll have a go at that if you like. Um, I think there's lack of farm systems research. There's no lack of research around individual facets of ecology and soil ecology and um, you know there's there's just a plethora of research but I would also then ask the question well where's the farm systems research for conventional agriculture because it's not there either it's a bit of a moot point really I, there's there's loads of science around all the elements of regenerative agriculture you just got to go looking for it yeah so can I just add that what we're finding is nature works in holes, patterns and synergies. When we divide that up into parts, a lot of the science is somewhat based around the parts of the whole. So while we may treat part of the whole, we quite often have unintended consequences from treating a part. So we have the unintended consequences on the whole. So yeah, we need a holistic view of, of science and, and how to approach things. And I think regenerative ag really helps address that. Right, it's, it's a little bit like looking at all of the, the complex moving parts of a farm system in, in terms of silos and, and individual metrics, whereas I think the regenerative agriculture looks at the much more of the whole and the whole functioning of the ecosystem. Um, fantastic. There's a question here, and love to hear um, your comments from the individual panelists. How long does it take for a regenerative farm to begin producing in amounts similar to conventional farms? Hamish, what do, um, what do you think? I know we discussed when we when we had our interview. You trying quite a few different things. The transition is more about the understanding of how things work and how quick you pick that up. So if I pick it up really quick and get a good understanding educate in education, you know, you could actually turn, keep going within one year and, and keep improving. The problem is I, with all my different trials and 
whatnot and, and, and a lack of understanding, I certainly went backwards for about two years. It really hurt me. But once I understood it, the growth is huge. So I've just got so much more confidence now in what we have actually seen and experienced that it doesn't need to take too long. However, I think in a cropping situation, it may take longer, but I'll leave Simon to answer that. But Simon, when you go look over his farm, he's got his soils thriving, but that's over decades of work. But we are learning also, and Simon will say, with cover crops and different diverse species, how quickly they actually uh, recover the soil and turn things around. So, Yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm a I'm the sort of person that likes to go, I wonder what would happen if I did this um, and probably focus not enough on the bottom line when it comes to that sort of thing. But I think um, there are certainly lots of challenges around arable farming because you can't just pick up what's been done overseas and, and, and scale it to New Zealand on a broad acre basis. I think generally a more biological, the, the more biological the approach in an arable situation the more resilience you build into the system. I haven't seen a drop off in yield as such, but what we're really starting to see is a building of resilience around, you know, we're just not using any insecticides anymore. And and, uh, we're getting to the point where the fungicides are no longer prevalent. And it's actually vastly more complex in an arable system to to get an understanding of all these individual facets. So, you know, I've done a few spray-free trials with the likes of hybrid radish and had very good, results but it, it just takes the, the information's just not readily there to pick up and run with it you've actually you've actually got to do a bit of trial and error as well which can be you know it can cost you but hey i'm i'm life is for learning and i'm still alive so i still want to learn so that's actually the most important thing to me i've probably got the most expensive education in new zealand i suspect one way of looking at it, certainly. Um, Kay, I know you've got many, many years of education and experience too. I, I began, the way I began was by getting reams soil tests done and using fertiliser based on those soil tests. So I didn't go backwards. I only went forwards right from the beginning. But then I wanted to learn how to do it without buying fertiliser. I wanted to really create um, nutrient cycling. And so I've learned how to do it now without buying fertiliser. I mean, I'm talking about horticulture. I'm talking about annual cropping, really, and forest gardens. I've got different strategies, completely different strategies, but I'm using trees and fungi in the forest gardens and and ramia woodchip. In the gardens, we're using ramia woodchip now too. But uh, So over the last 15 years, I've slowly gone from using soil tests and I'm still doing the soil tests, but using fertiliser and slowly I've learned how to make compost that actually grows food, hybrid food and builds soil. And I've used a lot of um, biochar and clay as well in our sandy soils. And I've slowly learned how to use local materials and local things so that we don't have to buy the fertiliser. But I'm basing it all on the science that I've learned from all the people that are teaching biological agriculture. So understanding the principles is really important, but it's a journey. So I guess starting off using industrial fertiliser based on the ream soil test meant I went forwards rather than backwards in the beginning because I don't think I could have, I didn't have the knowledge or the experience in the beginning to immediately know how to make, I mean, I've been making compost for many years, but it, the compost was not good enough to be growing hybrids food. 
So I had to learn that. And I learned it by testing, doing short, I test every compost heap, every, I test the whole garden every six months. So I've done a lot of testing, I've learned a lot of science, and I've learned now how to do it much faster. But you don't have to go backwards in an annual cropping situation, I don't think. Um, Mark, did you want to add anything there? Yes, yes, thanks. Um, so we've we've had many drastic changes so um, along this journey. So we've we were a conventional dairy for we're nearly twenty six years, twenty seven years. So um, I started to go down this path of regen egg probably uh, three years ago, um, but um, then started getting into this grazing two years ago. And just last year, we also went to once-a-day milking. Our cows are having to adapt to the once-a-day milking and the new systems of grazing and reducing and eliminating the toxic um, chemicals out of our system. We're on a massive transition journey, and I can see generally with once-a-day herds, it may take three to four years to get production back up to where a nice level. We think complementing that with the regenerative grazing and the management, it probably take us three to five years to have a full transition. But in saying that, we're already seeing um, increased soil carbon levels, so we're holding more water, um, we're increasing, increasing organic matter and the minerals in the soil are, are all increasing just under um, high stock density grazing. Now that we can see the power in that, we can really start to restore our land. Um, we took on some ex-cropping land as well six years ago. Um, so we're doing a lot of this. Um, this will be our first year away from no beer soil. So this was another leap of faith. <laughs> so we're doing... We're, we're intensely bale grazing on this ex-cropping land to try and get carbon back in the soil. So it's a journey, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and step by step. It's great to hear you. you're getting some results and no bare ground this year. There's a question here, and I know a couple of you have spoken into it already around um, being not, not purists um, when it comes to the complete organic, but what is the place of glyphosate herbicides in regenerative no-till systems? Can you be regenerative and still use herbicides on a large scale? This is one of the most sort of um, biggest topics discussed even amongst us regenerative farmers, so uh, we don't take it lightly. But what I'd like to say to people is, I'd rather have 40% of farmers start practicing regenerative management than 5% farmers being organic and not using glyphosate or tools that get us to where we want to go. So Simon's the same. He doesn't like to use glyphosate. I don't, or Mark don't like using glyphosate, but it is a tool to get us to where we want to go in our transition. The key that I want to get across to people is where you're heading, a trajectory. And I hope in 10 years, five to 10 years, I won't need to use it. I think it may be banned within 10 years. So we have to start thinking about how we're going to use it. But let me please make this clear. If we don't have glyphosate, then we have to go back till, tilling the soil, which can be just as de degrading. So I'm not, I think cropping ha has some real challenges. I think in, in the livestock 
sheep and beef and dairy, we can get away with it quite easily in the near future without having to use glyphosate or even tilling our ground just with really good grazing management and, and strategies. But please um, be patient with us in, in our transitions. And also, I think as the science comes to the fore, I'm not saying yes or no how bad it is. I've seen both sides of the story, but I'm open. But I'm also working positively towards not having to rely on it. Over to you, Simon. <laughs> Thanks, Hamish. I couldn't have put it better myself. But um, I... Um we're, I think, in an, in an arable situation where you traditionally use a lot of chemical, um, we're looking at strategies that we can do to eliminate or mitigate. So uh, eliminate, reduce, or mitigate, or mitigate and reduce. And I think glyphosate's classic. I use three litres of glyphosate or a kilogram of active ingredient per hectare instead of probably 100 litres of diesel per hectare. Our mitigation for, for glyphosate is to use fish hydrolysate with it or fulvic acid which um, is a microbial, both microbial feeders, which sort of buffer some of the negative effects on the soil biota, but also achieve the, you know, achieve the result. So we're mindful of these things, but where there's no established practice in terms of elimination, and we're working on that, I will not go back to cultivation because that is the, the most destructive thing you can do to soil, hands down. And so therefore, me, for me, I've just got to find a way forward. And, and we're working on, interestingly, cover crops. There's huge possibilities uh, using a mix of species designed for the particular following crop with the correct winter grazing. I think it's, it's going to be possible to move beyond glyphosate in the future, but there's an awful lot of work to do to just establish, to sta establish a, 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 you know, a mode of practice around that that's successful. Yeah, certainly a very complex and, and nuanced issue there. And um, I, I liked what you said, Hamish, about, you know, rather having 40% of farmers on the right, right trajectory and at least a, a big movement of people going that way. I'd like to change tack a little quickly now um, around asking if there are any examples of multi-strata agroforestry, tree intercropping and silver pasture in New Zealand that we can learn from this context and Kay I know that you have been um, doing a lot with introducing silver pasture on, on your farm so would you like to talk about that? Sure yeah that's I mean I mean trees uh, trees and plants but especially trees are the mineral cyclers of the planet like we've wiped a lot of them off but bringing them back is going to be for sure one of the key answers. Um, I'm really excited about our chicken and pig forage paddock where we've got um, from when the early berries and fruits start ripening right through to when the acorns and the chestnuts and the, all the nuts fall. We've got like, we're raising pigs. We have, you've got to have the right breeds, of course, but without any other, without any industrial food. And eggs, egg production is, a, is one of the hardest ones. Like regenerative egg production is a really big challenge. We're doing that on a small scale, but, and then for um, a cat, for, I mean, we're actually in, integrating annual crop production, um, dairy production, pork production and egg production all into tree systems or tree systems into all of those systems because that's where the mineral cycling comes from. And it, yeah, that's, it's really, really exciting integrating um, land use. It's a very, very new field, exciting journey. And I mean, it, <laughs> Uh, that last question about the glyphosate, in, in a way, like it becomes a very personal journey, this, this whole thing. And it's such an exciting journey because you start to see that 
that you're creating living systems and you're bringing back the life. You're starting to see regeneration happening in ecologies around us and we're all learning in a slightly different way and from slightly different things. And so you can't make judgments about anything really. Everyone has their own journey and as long as we're all moving forward, like that's the only important thing. And so supporting each other to find you know, to find our own way forward is the best we can do, I think. And trees have got to be, the trees are perennial. Are the, I mean, we grow all of our own food. And so learning which are the perennials are much easier than annuals. And so like how to use acorns and chestnuts and trees is such an important part of it. Yeah. And integrating them with animal systems and with gardening systems. We are planting poplars and willows and alders around our gardens and coppicing them on a regular, some annually, some biannually, some trying uh, every three years to produce Ramia woodchip. And that's now our fertilizer because it's got balanced minerals and nutrients and it feeds the fungi, which really feeds everything. So there's lots of amazing new ideas coming through for incorporating and integrating tree systems and perennial systems into all of our animal systems and food production systems. Yeah. It was beautifully put. I think everybody's on their own on their own path. Uh, I'll just quickly comment on the silver pasture. Um, we're just are so excited about getting into more of this um, as we go over the next probably decade or two. I mean, this, this is a long game. This is no quick fix, but um, we see so much potential in that. And there's enough farmers, I think, around New Zealand that if you search it out, you'll find them doing some really amazing examples. Um, I just want to get say the Billion Trees Fund. We would love to be part of that, but if we f fence off our gullies and we want to plant natives, we have to plant just natives, but we want to plant fruit trees and, um, and timber trees as well, but we're disqualified. Um, you get $1,500 a hectare to plant pine, so it's just easier to go plant pines. There is no incentive whatsoever for us to think laterally about different ways of planting trees. And until that changes, we're just limiting the innovation about what we can do for the future. Government is far too narrow in their thinking for there to be huge progress. Yeah, fantastic points there, Hamish. Thank you. How do the costs of inputs in regenerative agricultural practices um, used by the panellists compare to those of conventional industrial agriculture? Are the inputs used completely natural or do you have additional other um, costs there? That's it. I think in the in the transition phase um, where you're using both conventional and biological inputs, it can probably creep. You can probably get a bit of cost creep, uh, certainly in the arable sense. But as we learn, um, I mean, there's you know things like fish hydrolysate, which mostly feed the soil, and then as you build the soil, it then feeds the plants. I've reduced my rates of fertilizer pretty dramatically. We don't use any. Uh, I think for, for me, it's looking at what are you short of and what do you need to do. And, and I think with conventional ag over the years, we've mined out all the trace elements by putting on loads and loads of, of you know, NPK and S. And, um, you know, it's more about calcium and trace elements now. And small quantities of trace elements are reasonably cost effective. And we're, we're not seeing any drop in production. In fact, still using a conventional soil test, our, our, you know, got the, the Olsen P levels have gone up massively since I stopped putting on fertiliser, so I'm not quite sure what that tells you, that the biological function is coming in. Did you have something there that you wanted to add, Kat? Oh, that shows them the biology is working, so that's... Yeah, absolutely. 
I don't think, um, in terms of costs, I, I think there's a bit of a paradigm shift around the way we look at it. I don't think it's about production per hectare anymore. It's about profit per hectare because you can have less production but a lot less costs and you end up with more profit and it works better. So there's a lots of different ways of looking at it. In terms of the annual cropping, you can say, okay, keep your budget the same and get better production, but then over time switch to more. I mean, I think for me, the journey of a lot of people will start, and I started by just switching to, an, to a biological version of what, well, I never used the chemical version in the beginning, but I used the organic version, and there's actually a difference between a certified organic version and a biological version. And to me, the biological now is like the most important. But then you can switch from there to doing it more locally and more regionally using different strategies and different techniques. You've just got to take the time to learn what works best. Yeah, I, think, I think the key thing there, Kay, you hit the nail on the head with the, you know, it's, it's the net profit. It's not, it's not the total amount you produce. It's what you put in your pocket at the end of it that's most important. And, and you know, con conventional ag is all about maximising production. Because the animal land per hectare, yeah, yeah, but if you maximise production, you maximise the downstream profit for all the downstream industries. You don't make any more for the farmer. In fact, you usually make less because you're stuffing your asset in the meantime. Yeah. And um, just on that, I, I mean, I'll be similar to Mark here. You know, we've increased our carrying capacity 25%. We've actually dropped our costs from, say, 50%, being the industry average, down to 30%. Uh, three years ago, we actually just stopped putting on fertilizer full stop. And we, because once we understood our grazing, we now have higher stock densities. We go into taller pasture covers. And now we, we say eat a third, trample a third, and leave a third. So we're not now putting on fertilizer. We're now fertilizing. And it's a really big difference. We're not just changing our short grazing and carrying on not putting fertilizer on. We are our grazing management is very, very focused to, say, put down 30% of what we grow back onto the soil. And it's making a compost. And I'm sharing the same results as Mark, as Simon, and as Kay. Our fertility levels in our soil and our herbages are either going up or staying the same. It's remarkable. So I'm not here to be validated by science in that field I'm waiting for the science to catch up and validate what we're doing and start to understand what is going on here. And, and they have to start to ask the same sorts of questions and be just as inquisitive as farmers are. Yeah, love it. Um, yeah, you, yeah, I think the, the, there, Sorry, I just think the economic argument is probably the easiest argument to make for regenerative ag, actually. Um, you know, you, you're doing it with animals. Our, our fertilizer is all about cover crops and then incorporating grazing as well so it's yeah it's getting that biological function leveraging your strengths and that's that's where it comes in i mean before i stopped using fertilizer i did some i sent some soil samples off to australia and said well what, what what's the total amount of minerals that we have in the soil and we have two tons of bioachievable phosphate per hectare so why the hell would i put on any more phosphate i've got enough there to last me to goodness knows when and, you know, it's the same with potassium and, and you know, sulfur and, or, you know, the, the one thing we were short of is calcium. You know, I think the, the other, the other, the high analysis fertilizer and the, and the agrochemicals leach, leach calcium out of the soil. We had a good conversation last week around the, um, the, the market mechanisms and, and what New Zealand might be able to achieve with premium products if we had a good standard in place. Um, 
for this kind of stuff. Um, you, as you were speaking there, Hamish, yeah, reminded me of a question that has come through in the registration that I, is one that comes up a lot that I hear as I've been researching this series and talking to people and, and, and the issue in New Zealand that a lot of farmers think that what they do in New Zealand already is regenerative because we have cows on pasture or, or animals on pasture year round. So the question is what, what differentiates regenerative agriculture from a non-nitrogen using rotationally grazed high performing sheep and beef farm that has a comprehensive farm and environment plan. So what we're seeing um, with adopting these, the soil health principles, the five principles, we're, we're now not sending our soil out to the ocean. New Zealand loses around 200 million tonnes of soil per year. Attached to that's phosphate and goodness knows what else. Adopting these soil health principles has really excelled our business and that's, it's certainly moving us to another level. I guess, I guess the question is really, um, if, if you are not using nitrogen and you're rotationally grazing uh, and you've got a comprehensive farm environment plan, is that, is that regenerative or what, what, what's the difference in your eyes? Yeah, I guess, I guess you'd have to ask yourself the question, is importing tonnes of palm kernel regenerative? Is adding petrochemicals to your land regenerative? Uh, the list is endless. We've got so many resources on our land, whether that's wood chips for composting or recyclable materials, um, that we could be using out of other industries or just returning food waste back to the land. We waste like 40% of food produced. So, yeah, the, these mm. things could all be regenerating back into the land. Yeah, absolutely. And, Mark, while we're speaking with you, there's a specific question. Um, how do you test your soil to check how much organic matter you've got there? I'd recommend taking a soil food web test to see if your soil is a fungal or bacterial dominated um, and then that kind of gives you a bit of a, a bit of an idea of, of where you need to go. We're taking soil samples now to 15 centimetres so not the standard 75, um, uh, 7.5 sorry. Yeah we're still soil testing through hills to get baseline data and we're also involved in another program with Gwen Grillet and her team measuring soil carbon down to one metre, taking one metre core samples. Yeah, so that's, that's where we're at. Lovely. Uh, I'll just to say a word here. Years ago when I was um, confronted by Dr Christine Jones at a seminar and I fought with her all day about how wrong she was, how can this Australian woman from Australia come and tell us how to farm over here? Um, I see sort of a lot of that same attitude coming out now. It's very defensive. So I was very defensive and I didn't like to be told. I thought I was sustainable. After the end of the day, she wore me down. So I went and actually did some investigation and some, some research for myself. And I, I started to understand some of the management practices that I was doing was not um, improving or building my soil or building um, non-renewable resources. And it just comes down to just be honest with yourself and ask the questions, is this degrading our environment? Is it degrading natural resources or is it building? And once you're open to that, then you start the journey. It's a, it's a mindset, not trying to defend. Um, look, most of New Zealand farmers could well be regenerative. I mean, who am I to say? But I knew that I wasn't. You know, I learned more from ecologists than I have from agricultural scientists a lot of the time and 
going back to what Mark said, the, the five principles of soil health is what basically is the foundation of what our um, business is built on. So no bare soil, living roots in the ground, diverse species, animal impact. Um, so we need animals in our environment. Um, you know, in broad acres, I mean, Kay's a different story. Um, she still has chooks and pigs, so that's awesome. But it's a combination of everything. And we need more trees. Um, we get that. But it's a it's a mindset of understanding and just being open to what we need to improve on. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea how much of New Zealand agriculture is regenerative. Like, I agree with Hamish on that one. And it, and it, it doesn't much matter what I think on that scene. But, I, you know... It's the it's the frontier of opportunity at the moment. What it, you know, we, we've sort of reached an impasse in agriculture where globally, agricultural incomes for people who are farmers are dropping and have dropped for the last fifty years. And the green revolution is not about empowering or enriching farmers. It's about empowering and enriching industry. Leveraging off our biological capacity is the last. Well, it's, it's a great frontier that we have. And, it, and the potential is endless. I mean, I've in the arable scene, I've only scratched the surface really, and I just, I just see so much potential. What I lack is the experience to know how to to, to harness that. But I'm learning quickly, and I, you know, I think now that we we're, we're sort of talking amongst the people who are interested in this sort of thing, that we're learning even more quickly still. And uh, the the potential is huge. It's just huge. And, you know, empowering farmers to have a culture of life around their farms and you start seeing things differently. And it actually makes the whole farming experience really enjoyable and it just makes you realise how privileged you are to live here and, and to be doing to be doing this. And, you know, I didn't have that attitude 10 years ago. I was actually feeling pretty worn out and bedraggled by it all because we were just pouring more and more crap onto our farms and, and making less and less money. And... Uh, you know, just that's that's a hiding to nothing. Yeah, let's well, let's give an opportunity for anybody else to answer that question around. You know, for those who have grown up around conventional farming systems, um, do you have any other advice around how they can advocate for um, regenerative farmers for those around them, perhaps their neighbours that are still very much entrenched in those conventional systems? Making decisions which creates regeneration in your environment is such a deeply, profoundly, like, exciting and inspiring and, in a way, peaceful thing that you can't help but if other people see it and they feel it, it's, like, tangibly feelable. When you, like, plant trees and things that flower and they bring the insects and the insects bring the birds, the whole ecology starts changing. And it's, like, as human beings, we've co-evolved in systems like that that are incredibly diverse and connected, and it's in us, it's totally in us on a cellular level that that is the way we've always been, and we've disconnected ourselves in this industrial process of um, degeneration, and starting to reconnect again is so powerful, and it's so exciting, and other people get to see it and feel it. So all these farmers and all of us that are doing it now we're the beginning of like the research centres and the and the models for others around us. And it just happens. But we, we definitely need like a lot more support from the government and planners and investors. Um, I think we're going to have to cut it off there. Thank you to all of our panellists for joining us. I'm really thrilled with the momentum that's um, being gained around this series. It's been a wonderfully rich discussion and I hope you have all enjoyed it. Thank you again to all our panellists 
and we will see you all again very soon. To learn more about Pure Advantage and the work we do, go to pureadvantage.org and follow us on Instagram. If you found this conversation valuable, please rate this podcast, share and subscribe. Thanks for being on the journey with us. Ka kite ana.